Now let's just uh, pray as we look into the word. Oh Father, we, we praise you and thank you for the Bible, all of the, the great and wonderful predictions, prophecies, promises, covenants, uh, and above all, Lord, all of the wonderful, the wonderful accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you will show us uh, beautiful things uh, to our soul uh, this evening and, Lord, challenging things. And we pray your Holy Spirit will encourage us, strengthen us in uh, our, our service to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, this passage in uh, which last verse in uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, chapter 2 and the first verse of uh, chapter 3 contains enough for probably... 40 sermons, uh, 40 different sermons. What I'm, what I'm doing, though, is I'm actually trying to concentrate on the theme of the fullness of Christ, the infinite wealth, spiritual wealth, power, and glory of Jesus Christ himself. And, of course, it's, um, it's cash value, if you like, in our lives, of how uh, all of those riches should be, should, be, should be translated into our lives. And, in fact... Uh, I'm not going to be speaking uh, for any great length of time on, on that last one because I think it's up for us to actually um, uh, take hold of uh, the truth and work out how we, how we you know, carry on and uh, enrich our lives with f- further walking with Christ. As he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is um, seated at the right hand of God. But I want us to notice that, that I've called it the struggle to share infinite wealth, to share Christ with people, is because that's how Paul had his life. His life was a struggle. Let's make no mistake about it. And when he shared the gospel, it was struggling in prayer, in coming to a particular area. Uh, he had all kinds of physical struggles getting there, traveling, uh, looking after his temporal needs. He had to find places to stay. He had to find places to eat. And he had to have money to look after himself. And often uh, he actually supported himself by his own hard work as a tent maker. His life itself was a struggle even before he'd, he'd actually preached. Uh, then, of course, he might face uh, the, uh, the, the persecutor's uh, whip, uh, the stones of mobs, uh, and eventually the executioner's axe. But he knew what it was to struggle. And he also had this spiritual struggle, the spiritual struggle of prayer. Because whenever his congregations face problems, it is clear that he prayed and continued praying for them and sought to uh, bring them out of, their, of their, uh, their particular problems and dangers. In the case of the Colossians, it seems that Paul has kind of a, 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 two things that are going on. Firstly, he's really thankful that the Colossians have made loads of progress in their Christian life. He's heard that they're making progress. It's not absolutely clear that he knew the Colossians actually face to face. There are arguments both ways about whether or not he actually made the trip to Colossae or whether it was his his uh, friends that were involved in the growth of the church there. But either way, Paul was very, very pleased at their spiritual progress. But at the same time, 
he was aware of imminent danger in this particular, in this particular area. Um, and uh, I want to look at the dangers first of all, and that is uh, the delusions that he opposed. And you can see that in verse, um, se- uh, sorry, verse eight, if you want to turn to the, turn to the uh, uh, passage, one, page 1169, in uh, Colossians 2.8 it says, see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, commentators usually talk about the Gnostic philosophy that actually later became um, a, a, real, a, a, a real danger to the church after the apostles had died. Um, Gnosticism was a kind of pseudo-philosophy, uh, a set of fairy tales, a set of behavior patterns um, which... Um, essentially centered around the idea that there were some people who could get a special dose of super knowledge, uh, which came from what they would call their gods or God or whatever it was. And this knowledge turned them, and, or this wisdom turned them into an elite person, the perfecti, the perfect person, uh, who uh, were, were the true inheritors of the kingdom of God. Now, this became a great danger in the second century church, but it, it's clear that these kind of cults and these kind of ideas were circulating around uh, in the Roman Empire before the second century. And, and it may very well be that it's actually these Gnostics specifically that Paul is opposing. But whoever they were, we can see that the principles are clear. He says, see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, that word Philosophy is not actually referring to some areas of what today is called philosophy, like logic, techniques of argument, and so on. Um, it was talking about this uh, esoteric ideas that people claim to get through their, uh, their special relationship with reality. Uh, by going through their initiation into this perfect knowledge, they then would come out with their, uh, with their uh, uh, often crazy and weird ideas. Um, he realized, Paul realized, that often these men uh, were actually simply charlatans. They were scam artists. They were people after either money or after a reputation or after power over people. So that's why he says, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, the word for uh, captive there is actually uh, one to do with, I suppose. You might call it, uh, you you make yourself plunder. He says, don't make yourself plunder. Uh, if you can imagine a, 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 an army, you know, just a, a soldiers, you know, on a horses going through a town, and, and rather than running away, the citizens simply say, oh, take me, I'll be your slave. And that's what Paul is saying to the Colossians, make sure you don't volunteer yourself for a delusion. Now, unfortunately, we do know that that does happen to Christians in the, in the, current, the current situation in the world. There are... Uh, delusions which masquerade as Christianity but are far away from the teaching of Jesus and many real Christians are taken in and just volunteer themselves to become the slaves of their cult they they give large amounts of money away they give a vast amount of time they place them under the 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 control of their cult leader and uh, basically waste their lives in a delusion Uh, you can see that it's according to human traditions now, Paul is, is clear here that basically 
these cults always had their source either in uh, customs and ideas that had been passed down over decades, perhaps centuries, or were delusions of visions. And, uh, uh, of course, the Bible is uh, the only source for guidance for the believer. The Old Testament and the New Testament is the path, is the way, uh, especially, of course, Jesus himself. And uh, Paul says that there is, there's, there's this religion of human tradition that will lead us away from Christ himself. He says, and not according to Christ, not according to Christ. And, you know, we can, be, we can be clear by their fruits, you shall know them. And people that are involved in cults and in delusions and in strange philosophies and, and aberrant, errant ideas, as far as I can make out, all, seem to always move away from that personal devotion to Christ and his words, uh, to the living God and his revelation in the Bible. Now, they may claim, for instance, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, to, to, oh, you know, the Bible is so important to us. We believe the Bible absolutely. And yet, what do the Jehovah's Witnesses do? They oppose the very teaching of the Bible, and in particular in this passage. Um, now, I'll give you an example of an obvious contradiction uh, between the, uh, the, the, um, the um, Jehovah's Witnesses and... Um, and uh, true Christianity. Look at verse uh, um, 18. Verse 18. You'll see it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now notice, Paul specifically says, You shall not worship angels. Yet Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus was an angel, a super angel. Actually, it's very like the Gnostic systems where they, they had hierarchies of beings, you know. And uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come along and they say, well, there's human beings, there's angels, there's a super angel Jesus, their, their, their uh, ridiculous concept of Jesus, and then there's, there's God. Well, of course, um, actually, we find in the New Testament that people worshipped Jesus. It's there in the Bible. The Bible, they say, that they believe in. And it's clear that not only did they worship Jesus at the time of the New Testament, but we right the way, right the way uh, from the, uh, the death of the apostles onwards, Christians all over the Roman Empire were worshipping Christ. Well, if he's an angel, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, to, to worship an angel. So Jehovah's Witness, why are, you, why are you saying that you believe the Bible? Because, you know, you say you, you, uh, you, you worship Jesus in this kind of way as an angel, but you, you don't actually worship him. You, you, you know, you, you don't, uh, you don't uh, believe he's God. You, you, you therefore, you therefore um, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll say that again. You, you are worshipping Jesus as an angel and of course the Bible says that you shouldn't worship angels the thing is this that Paul really wants to guard these people from moving away from what is central to, um, to uh, the, being a Christian that is Jesus himself uh, he talks about the fact that they're puffed up in their mind by visions they um, instead of concentrating upon the word of Christ, upon his teaching and upon the teaching of the apostles, they are going AWOL 
and uh, absent without leave, as the, you know, the army says, and actually seeking to have special, uh, special visions of, uh, of all kinds of heavenly beings and all kinds of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, also, they uh, go in for special ceremonies, special festivals, special, uh, special uh, um, foods that you have to, uh, have to eat or not eat, and particularly um, uh, the practice of asceticism. Now, asceticism is where people um, are on a, often are on a starvation diet or on a sleep-free diet or um, refuse to get married or are prevented from being married because of the cult they belong to. Now, all of these tendencies, of course, we've seen in, in lots, of, lots of varieties of unbiblical religion, including Catholicism. And Paul is struggling to actually... Uh, for, for, to prevent this happening, that these Colossians should be drawn into this cult. Now, what is he trying to do as an alternative? Well, what he's trying to do is to center them in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the mystery of God. Uh, if, you, if you turn again to chapter 2, verse 2, your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding... And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And later on he talks about uh, the fullness of God in bodily form. Uh, or as the English Standard Version says in verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, the center to our Christian lives is Jesus in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, here's, here's the mystery, the secret that was revealed in Christ was the incarnation. This was the great secret. For, for the, uh, for the Gnostics, they had all kinds of other weird and wonderful mysteries. But the central one, which is this, God the Son became a man and lived amongst us full of grace and truth. That central thing is the center to our Christian lives. In Ephesians 4 verse 9, in a verse I, I mentioned uh, when I was preaching some months ago, um, it says in Ephesians 4.9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descends is the one who has ascended far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. Now, here is uh, the cash value, one, one of the cash value of, of the, the incredible treasures that are in Christ, and the incredible fullness that is in Christ, that Christ is God, and as God fills all things. There is nowhere we can go away to, to, to escape from the presence of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, but our friend. Now, even the simplest person in the world, you know, in the, in the person that's got a very low IQ, person with a very simple understanding of the world, knows what a friend is, and knows what it means if that friend is with them. And here's the most wonderful thing. Jesus fills all things. I go to, to the planet Pluto on a spacecraft. He's with me. Let's go to the furthest bounds of the universe. He's there. 
as uh, it says in Psalm 139, verse 7, about the Spirit, it's also true about Jesus. Where shall I go from your Spirit? Where shall I go from you, Jesus? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night. Now, I mentioned on Saturday morning in a prayer meeting about uh, John and the fact that um, John in uh, John chapter 1 and verse um, 16 mentions that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And he uses the same word. From his fullness we've received grace upon grace. Now, for John, we have a, uh, an actual living um, testimony here of someone who was with Christ for three years. Now, Paul never had that privilege of spending three, three years or so with Jesus of Nazareth. But he did. John spent three years with him. Uh, Jesus was his rabbi. He spent, uh, he spent um, most of his day and uh, uh, mo most of the evening in the presence of his rabbi. And uh, he knew him fully as, as a human being. Three years of very close contact with him as a human being. And yet, once Christ had, once Christ had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven... He had an even better relationship, an even fuller relationship. You may remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mary's told, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended. But it's, it's best for you if I ascend. Why is it best? Because in ascending to heaven, Jesus was no longer bounded by the limitations he'd set upon himself. He left heaven. He emptied himself of all of all of his uh, all of his, his his great attributes. He left the glory to become a, to become to take on the the the, uh, the form of a slave of a man. But once risen and once ascended, he returns to the to the throne of God, to the right hand of the Father, and there then he fills the whole universe. And um, of course, in John's Gospel, Jesus uh, is recorded as saying things to do with his fullness. What is this fullness? Well, Jesus said things like this. I am the light of the world. He, he who believes in me is not walking in darkness, but has the light of life. You are promised as a Christian every moment of your life that Jesus is with you and he will give you the light of life. He gives us the salvation that comes through the light. He also will guide us and be with us. He's the bread of life, Jesus said. He who believes in me, who... Uh, you know, uh, he, he has, has the bread of life. I'm, I'm the bread of life that, that's come down from heaven to give life to the world. A believer is constantly nourished by Jesus himself. He's the one, if you like, who is the medium between all of the riches of heaven and us now. Um, in just the same way as, you know, there, there may be a uh, a well-stocked kitchen and a well-stocked refrigerator, but it takes a cook to actually put it all together and lay it before us. 
Every grace that we receive is coming from Jesus. We receive from him grace after grace. We're depressed and discouraged. Through the Holy Spirit, we're given encouragement. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ who has supplied us with the Spirit of God to bless us. When we first become Christians, we are ransomed, we are healed, we are restored, forgiven. The ransom is paid by Christ and is given to us and applied by the Holy Spirit. And that is a grace that we have received that comes through Christ, the living God. Healed, restored, forgiven. All of the wonderful glories of the Christian life are coming directly through Jesus. Um, when, we're in a, when we're praying, whether we're sitting at home praying by ourselves or whether we're in a service like this, the Lord Jesus Christ is here with us. And he gives us help and encouragement and strength. And he grants us grace after grace to live the Christian life out. Now, that I believe is you know, the, the, uh, the, the uh, burden that is on um, Paul's soul for these Colossians. They're losing a hold of the head, just like these Gnostic philosophers that he's referred to. They've, um, in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19, these Gnostic uh, teachers who, who once were Christians, claimed to be Christians, they're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. They haven't held on to Jesus, who's the head of the body, the, who's, the, who's the Lord of the church. And uh, the thing is that Paul is struggling that this wonderful and marvelous truth might not be lost to these Colossians, and that indeed they may themselves center themselves in, in Christ. Now, I want to, you know, to, to point out that um, you know, the Christian life is a struggle. And uh, we are called upon to struggle as Christians. Now, when I mean by struggling, I don't mean lose. Usually when people say, oh, I'm struggling with the problem, uh, they usually mean well, I'm losing out to the problem. Um, but the Bible encourages us to struggle. And in fact, the word that is used in, in the Greek is agonize. And that's a slightly different, isn't it? In fact, uh, agonize is probably, probably doesn't have that connotation in the modern world of, of losing out. Uh, if uh, if an athlete is agonizing, um, he may be winning at that point when he's in agony, but he's carrying on and he's finally done it, and agony turns into ecstasy as he actually he finishes and wins the race. And Paul, Paul is agonizing. He uses this word quite often about his, uh, his approach to his fellow, fellow Christians that he prays for. You know, at one point he says, I think it's the Galatians, I agonize until Christ is formed again in you. Uh, I agonize with the pains of childbirth because the Galatians like the Colossians, were starting to get entrapped in alien ideas. In the case of the, uh, the Galatians, it was the circumcision party and their Judaism, which they were trying to, to get them in, entangled in and were drawing them back. In, and they were losing hold of what their salvation was really about. And Paul says, I'm in agony. I'm in a struggle uh, to actually bring them back from this. And uh, the same goes here, that he's saying, I'm, uh, I have a great struggle for you. Now, we are called upon as believers all through our lives to struggle in the work of the kingdom. Um, some Christians give the idea that 
uh, victory means we sail through life on a kind of a cloud. Oh, I've got the victory, brother. Well, Jesus had the victory. But we're told in the Garden of Gethsemane, and of course on many other occasions, he prayed with great agony, a great struggle, because he sought the salvation of uh, the lost. And it wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane. We got an insight into the heart of Jesus when uh, the night before, uh, a few days before maybe, uh, he looked down on Jerusalem and he wept and said, how often I would have gathered you, you, you people to myself, but you would not. And, uh, and we can, uh, I think, uh, deduce that this was the heart of Jesus exposed as, as, as he was uh, all of the time during his ministry. When he went alone up the mountains to pray, he prayed with fervency uh, for uh, people to be saved, for people uh, to be changed. And... Uh, we are called upon to struggle and to agonize. Now, why do I say that? Well, Paul hasn't said here, agonize or struggle, you, all you people. Well, Paul recounts his own struggles in Corinthians, in Galatians, and in Colossians. In each occasion, he, he shows his great, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of, Worries and problems and agonies he goes through as he tries to keep people uh, um, close to Christ and as he seeks to win people for Christ. But he says on numerous occasions, imitate me. Imitate me. And that's what, what we as believers should be doing. God the Holy Spirit guided Paul on those numerous occasions um, to actually uh, say to the, to the believers, imitate me and uh, follow my pattern of my life. And that's what we've got to do. We're meant to be struggling for souls. We're meant to be. And, uh, you know, uh, we're meant to be going through heartbreak um, for souls. Paul had a heartbreak, didn't he, for his own people? He said, it was my heart's desire they might be saved. I'm in constant discomfort because my people are without the Lord. Now, it's a challenge to us, isn't it? If we imitate Paul in that, then our prayer lives should be a bit longer, shouldn't it? Perhaps in private for the people that we love, the people we care about. Now, this can be a problem for, for us. Sometimes we have busy lives, we have jobs, home, family, perhaps our own children, how can we find the time when we have all the other struggles of life going on to actually get into this spiritual struggle? Um, and in fact, keep it going. I mean, many of us who've started diets have always found that uh, the diet gradually stops and then gradually it's reversed. It's very difficult to keep ourselves on task. Now, how much more is it difficult to keep on task with the spiritual struggle? Now, I just... No, you know, Paul, um, he had the struggles of life. I've mentioned them already, struggles of traveling, walking vast distances. He, he must have walked thousands of miles in his life uh, to actually get to all of the different cities and, and constantly traversing between them. Struggle to feed himself, make a living. Talk about a cost of living crisis. He had it all of the time. He had the struggle of loneliness. Now, Paul doesn't really ever say much about his own personal feelings. But look, he, he, was, um, he may have been a widow, 
um, before he became a Christian. It's very unusual, actually, for any Jew to have reached uh, maturity um, and not be married. And uh, so it may be, be that Paul was a widow. That's why he didn't have a wife. Um, but for whatever reason, he had no wife, no family um, that, that we're in contact with him as far as we know. And he was really, he was constantly alone, apart from a few friends, maybe. But even them, were, they were always traveling around as well. They couldn't be that close to Paul. To Paul. He had a struggle, I am sure, with loneliness. He had a struggle, uh, you know, with the pains of being an apostle, all of the whippings and, and, and things that he talks about in 2 Corinthians, being shipwrecks and, and, uh, and imprisonments and uh, all the discomforts. But he was prepared to struggle for souls. Now, our struggles that we have are so comparatively easy compared to, compared to the Apostle Paul. And so let's be, let's be encouraged to seek, to struggle, um, and to actually, uh, as it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I just want to finish by, you know, by saying this. The treasures, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are what we have to pass on to the world. And it's also the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and the fullness of the Lord which enables us to actually struggle actually serve the Lord. Bearing much fruit, we know, Jesus said, is utterly dependent upon the fullness of life that's available in Christ. As the vine cannot you know, bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so you won't bear fruit unless you abide in the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. We need to look to our, to, to our relationship with the Lord and, and perhaps sometimes we need to say, well, maybe, maybe there's a, what I would call a plumbing problem in my life, an airlock. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that in the house where um, one, of, you know, one of your taps or all your taps aren't working because there's a plumbing problem. There's an airlock which is blocking the flow of water into your house. And... There can be all kinds of things that may prevent us experiencing and going on, experiencing grace upon grace in our life, upon a continual trust in Christ and a continual flow through of the spiritual, of the spiritual fruits of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit in our life. In the case of the Colossians, the thing that Paul was particularly worried about was the diversion of these delusions of the Gnostics. But of course, there are other things that can give blockages. It could be sin and bitterness, hatred. It could be habitual certain sins. It could be actually laziness. It could simply be that we've gradually, as we've got older, we've, uh, we're, we're taking for granted um, our, our, uh, our Christian life. And we're, we're not, we're, we've given up really really seeking the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
Um, remember that scripture in Jeremiah that you, you'll seek him and find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And uh, if we want to know more of the fullness of God, we need to be with all of our heart asking to know more of that fullness of Christ in our, in our lives. But, but praise the Lord. He's, he, he's near us at all times. And we can, we can share with him at all times. We can, we can share our problems with him. We can share our needs with him. We can uh, share our, our, our desires for, for salvation of, uh, for people with him. And so may the Lord help us indeed um, to, um, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.